Welcome to the latest Around the World in 20 Minutes with me, John Hulsman. It's great to be back with you. I am back from my first real business trip in about two years, which was a wonderful return to normal. I flew to Washington uh, to see a lot of old friends and get the political lay of the land there, talk to as many people as I could about what's going on in U.S. politics. A special shout out to Jim Zanotti and his family for putting me up and letting me share a week of thinking and a lot of laughter and a lot of fun. It was great to see everybody. And uh, let's get back to normal as soon as possible. I apologize because of all this if I end up speaking in tongues today because jet lag is overwhelming at the moment. But I thought that I had to get back to you. And I, boy, I missed our podcast. And uh, I think we didn't do a Patrick Henry. And we also missed a book turn. And that'll happen when I travel. But rest assured, we will continue to give you the best political risk analysis in the world and have fun doing it. So without any further ado, let's talk about Green Blues. The Glasgow Climate Summit came and went. Protesters, Greta, cheerleaders, heroes, villains, to quote Brian Wilson. And in the end, we get to Shakespeare. It was much ado about nothing. Why is that? Why did this fail? Well, the simple reason that it failed is that climate protesters are just another form of Marxist, meaning that like Marxists, they have a monocausal view of the world. There is one big problem and one big form of analysis. Uh, the problem in the case of Marxists is that the capitalistic class control everything. The form of analysis is class analysis. And with that magic bullet, all problems will be solved. The world's complexity goes away and everyone will end up in a socialist nirvana. Well, 100 million deaths later, obviously even Marxism is discredited. But those on the left looking for simple answers to complicated questions didn't go away, didn't retire. And of course, having just been in Washington, they didn't say they were sorry. In turn, what they did was move on to the next monocausal problem that needed de dealing with, with a monocausal solution. And that is the warming of the planet. Now, I'm not a climate nut. Uh, I do believe human beings contribute to the causing of global heating and that there has been global heating and cooling since the advent of time. If you go to Greenland, you can find evidence of Viking settlements where grapes were grown in Greenland just a thousand years ago. And obviously things got colder then. This is the natural order of things. The question is whether this amounts to a catastrophic crisis that will undo our planet like some sci-fi movie, doubtless starring the wonderful Jeff Goldblum. Uh, but that's one question. And the second question is, yet again, this is socialism, Marxism by the back door. To solve this one monocausal crisis, they demand a total revamping of our society, starting with energy flows and moving on to government mandates and increased government participation in doing things. Otherwise, the planet will cease to exist as we know it, they say in hysterical terms. Greta Thunberg, who spent less time in school than any substitute teacher that we know, or Hollywood star, has said that her childhood was ruined by this which is a good example of the hysteria. This is from a girl from the upper middle class living in Sweden, which is a paradise compared to what most of the rest of the people of the world in Yemen had to deal with. But for some reason, Greta, despite not having any sort of education, decided that her life was ruined and that she alone 
in a children's crusade was set to run the world. And this would be funny if people didn't take this seriously. My only question to Greta would be a simple one. Can you name three members of the Politburo of the Chinese Communist Party? I doubt that she can. I'll throw her Xi Jinping, and I guarantee you that she couldn't do anyone else. And this is indeed the problem, because without knowing the members of the Politburo, you can't possibly solve global heating problems because the Chinese are the problem. And without leveraging the Chinese, as we just saw in Glasgow, there's no point in talking. So less moral hysteria about your childhood being ruined in Sweden and more time being spent studying how to leverage the problem in realist terms. This is always the problem with the left. It's a fairy tale of heroes and villains. And with everyone agreeing that global warming is indeed a major catastrophic crisis, or as many people believe, if some islands sink in the Pacific, is it worth reordering our economy, throwing people out of work, economic dislocation, or could there perhaps be other problems in the world that are equally pressing to other people? Because if you assume, as climate alarmists like Greta do, that this is the only problem worth dealing with, that everything has to be predicated on this problem, frankly, you're not living in reality. You're living in Sweden, and that's not reality. This is a first world problem. This is not a problem for the rest of the world. And we saw this at the Glasgow Climate Summit. The major issue that needed addressing, there was agreement on doing more on deforestation. I think that's great. We need more trees. I believe that. And I think that's nice if people commit to trying to do that. The second agreement there was on methane gases, which are actually worse than carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. And so this is also a very good thing. And that's fine if people commit to doing it. Remember, as ever in this feel-good scenario, there's no enforcement mechanism. Nobody can make these countries live up to the claims they make. And one has the feeling, as always at these meetings, they would rather feel good than do good. It's good to sign a piece of paper, but actually following through on economic difficulties becomes a much harder matter. And this is what happened. So assuming this is the only problem in the world, the climate advocates went in and tried to deal with the major issue in front of them, which is getting rid of fossil fuels, getting the major powers to commit in a meaningful way, going from A to B, a detailed way, which is what is missing. It's not some commitment, but how do we get from a fossil fuel dominated world to no fossil fuels, step by step by step? This is obviously going to take a little time. Everyone but Greta knows this. Uh, by the way, if she were sitting in my class, I would love to fail her and mention to her that, you know, life's a little harder than you think in Sweden. Um, this is the reality of what's going on. And again, I'll name three members of the Politburo. I'll spot you, Xi Jinping. I'll spot you, Li Keqing. Now you have one member to come up with, and I'm confident she could not do that. In other words, she's not approximating reality. If you want to solve problems, you actually have to do that rarest of things. Study. Know about them. Not just feel good. Do good. And so it came to deal with coal, which is the number one issue here. Um, natural gas is cleaner than coal and is a transition away from fossil fuels toward renewables, an interim step. Well, that's fine, but there's still an awful lot of coal burned in the world. And three powers primarily burn coal. First and foremost, China, then India, 
than the United States. And without getting all three great powers, all three sovereign, proud sovereign nations, jealous of their sovereignty and unlikely to throw it away and commit economic suicide so Greta can feel better about the Maldives not sinking into the ocean. Um, all three thinking there are more problems in the world than just global warming and that they had other things to worry about. Primarily in the case of these three, the great power competition brewing in the Indo-Pacific, which all three are intimately involved in, and in the case of China, keeping their economy going. In other words, the world is slightly more complicated than the fairy tale the Glasgow climate organizers might have you believe. And there are other imperatives out there for the great powers than going to these endless meetings where they attempt to bore you into doing what they want. People aren't about to give up their national interests to make climate activists feel better. And Glasgow, or the Glasgow summit proved this yet again. So on the big issue where there would actually be economic dislocation and coal would be phased out, that was the phrasing in, in, in the language, it will be phased out over time, and then we will commit to some sort of plan to doing this. At the last minute, the Indians and the Chinese, no friends at all of each other, change the wording, that, that instead of phasing it out, it would be phased down, which means almost nothing. It means that in a perfect world, if our economies are doing reasonably well, you know what, we'll begin to use less coal, we'll transition to natural gas, then renewables, and try to make the planet greener over time if it suits our other interests. Notice what this is saying. This is saying that those other interests, such as economic prosperity, are paramount. A good friend of mine on the left in India once said at a meeting, a very profound thing, it seemed to me. He said to a bunch of Westerners, don't you give us a hard time about global warming when you chopped down all your trees already centuries ago and are now advanced industrial economies. Don't you dare give us a hard time when we are just beginning to pick up, when our growth from a colossal low is beginning to pick up at 6 to 8% a year. The only human right in India, he said, over the next 40 years is to grow at 6%. Almost all our social and developmental problems will go away or improve if we grow at 6% for the next 40 years. And we will be a great power in India once again, as we should be, given our resources, our demography, and our geostrategic position in the world. Full stop. In other words, you guys worry about your first world problem. We are focused on our major issue, which is not global warming, despite the fantasies of Greta and others. It's development. And that makes perfect sense if you're an Indian. From the Chinese point of view, a similar story is told. And yes, I'm in the odd position of defending the Chinese imperative, but I do. Deng Xiaoping, when he came to power in December 1978, was taking over from the remnants of Mao's murderous reign, the economic illiterate reign of Mao, when this proud country was brought to its knees through the Great Leap Forward, which killed 40 million people through economic lunacy, and then the crazy cultural revolution where students were allowed to beat up people and scream at them. In other words, it was a bit like Twitter before Twitter, except people died. And Deng Xiaoping, who'd suffered through this, came to power and he said, look, we can't go on this way any longer. The only way forward for us is to harness the credibility and legitimacy of the Communist Party to something real, organic, and Chinese. And he picked two things that were organically Chinese, capitalism and nationalism. Anyone who's gone to any Chinatown in the world knows the Chinese are a remarkably entrepreneurial people 
and that having them be capitalist suited their nature and their trading, which has been going on for centuries, if not millennia, and that this would work, that if they became rich, they would become reluctant adherents to the Chinese Communist Party. They're aware that it killed their grandfathers, but that it was delivering the economic goods and that this was a source of legitimacy after Mao. And then secondly, nationalism, that he reunify Han Chinese nationalism more specifically, that he reunify the country, specifically Xinjiang province in the West, Tibet, Macau, Hong Kong, and Taiwan, the big five. And this worked beautifully. And China boomed until now, when even before the pandemic, the catch-up growth that China had demographically had come to an end. With the one-child policy, the danger is that China gets old before it gets rich. And that's what's happening with, with replacement rates at 1.4, similar to that of Portugal, Italy, and Greece. The problem is without a safety net, China's going to have a very few young people to pay for an awful lot of old people that they directly are going to have to take care of because they don't have the social welfare system of we in the West. And so China's already a busted flush economically. It's already topping out. And of course, Xi Jinping can read the demographic numbers. And the problem with the one-child policy, which they finally did away with a few years ago, is that you can't reverse demography in an instant. And Chinese women don't want to have more children. They like the freedom of having one child, of going back into the workplace, of having social choices. And they show no sign now that they're free to have any more children. And so if this problem is arrested, and I doubt it will be, it's going to take generations and the Chinese don't have that kind of time. And so they see that they're in economic busted flush. And more and more, I think that's going to be apparent. And then you add in the fact that they're getting cold because of the various supply bottlenecks at the moment. Northern China is short energy at present. And of course, prices of energy are booming. OPEC plus led by the Saudis and the Russians show no inclination to increase production. They're delighted to let the price go up from the lows of around $40, $50 to perhaps double. It might very well hit $100 a barrel. They love this. So why should they produce more when they can let the price rise? And of course, China, which imports the vast lion's share of its energy, doesn't like this. And remember, capitalism and nationalism since Deng are what keep the Chinese emperor, in this case Xi, on his throne. And so... He says, what does he say? Open up more collieries. I have to make up the difference. We have coal in China. I don't care what Greta wants. I care about staying in power. I care about my people not freezing through the coming winter. I care about our development. I care about all these things infinitely more than what a bunch of Westerners care about islands sinking around the world. To his ears, this must sound, be crazy. Absolutely crazy, because the climate activists are wrong in a fundamental sense. The world is, again, not Marxian, not monocausal. Think of all the things I've just said in the last 10 minutes. These are the imperatives of India and China, the two largest polluters in the world at present through coal. You throw in the United States, despite the fantasies of John Kerry, wrong about everything, wrong about literally everything, from Iraq to this. If you look at this guy's record, if he told me to go left, I'd go right. If he told me to go up, I'd go down. He's the Yasser Arafat of American politics. And despite Kerry's fantasies, one of the richest men in the country, married into the Hines fortune, married the widow of, Mr. of Senator Hines, um, rich already. And from Nantucket, he's telling the rest of us to give up our jobs. This doesn't pass the Marie Antoinette test. 
We aren't all going to eat cake or go to retraining while he sits on his yacht. The fact that none of these folks see the hypocrisy and the incongruity of what they're saying is why elites around the world are increasingly hated. But despite the confident projections of a bunch of people who only meet each other, who then all agree in this feedback loop that global warming is the preeminent problem, that the world is going to burst into fire if you don't do exactly what I say and develop a socialist, state-driven economy and do it immediately, because it's the only problem. Despite this fantasy, this fantasy ran into the reality of realism of states with interests, of a multiplicity of interests that need balancing every single day. In other words, fantasy ran into the problem of grown-up reality. And what happened? Reality, as ever, as Aristotle would say, what is, is. And I love that comment. Facts are stubborn things. They cannot be wished away or fantasized away. And just as Marxism was wrong with monocausality, so the global warming fantasists who want Marxism by the back door through the fake hysterical imperative that the only thing we need to worry about is global warming, they're wrong too. And they ran straight into the wall of India and China at the last minute, unsurprisingly to any of us who are realists and grown-ups, inserted language into the final communique saying there will be a phase down of coal, meaning if we can manage it someday in a perfect world, sure, we'll help out. We believe global warming is real. We just don't believe it's that important to us when development is important, socially for India and politically for China, that this is the key to move forward. So they wrote phase down. At the beginning, they weren't even going to write that, but the United States, with the EU utterly castrated and this having no role in this at all, um, Japan kind of siding with India and China in this reality, um, no one was left to broker the deal. And so the United States went over and on the floor, the Indians, the Chinese and the Americans, the increasingly big three of global politics. Notice I'm not listing the EU, Russia, etc. This new big three of our new era brokered a deal on the floor to say, yeah, we'll insert some language. We'll say phase down rather than phase out, which keeps everything going. The magical 1.5 degree centigrade increase in, on the planet based on the pledges made at Glasgow, the number is roughly 2.4. It's much higher. 1.5 is possible if there are even deeper cuts. And global activists are like folks playing poker and losing. If I win the next seven hands, we'll meet the magical number I have, which had no bearing whatsoever in the first place. The interesting thing about Glasgow is when Wilsonianism, utopian wish fulfillment, runs into hard national interests. And as we've seen, interests win. The three powers, with their own interests, on the side, broker the final communique. Everyone else grumbles, is horrified, but they have to live with it. Because power is not with Greta and the activists. It's with nations who have complicated interests that they have to balance over and over again. And it's not building a rainbow-filled world where we pretend your childhood is ruined from living in Sweden. It's based upon interests. Development, in the case of India, political stability, in the case of China, and not committing economic suicide, in the case of the United States. So the green blues of the Glasgow summit tell us a lot about how the world is actually run. Realism, competing interests, and accepting the basic fact that the world, despite the monocausality of Marxists morphed into environmental activists, the real world is a fascinating 
and complicated place. Thank you. It was fantastic to get this one done. It's great to be back. Please, for those of you who haven't subscribed, do so now. We'd love that. Uh, so many of you have, and we're grateful. And again, Substack just had its millionth member, and it's well-earned. It's a wonderful system. Please subscribe. And for those of you that have subscribed, please do give. The only way this works, and we're devoting the lion's share of our time now in writing and thinking to Substack, to talk to you directly, which we love doing without any middlemen getting in our way, editors of any form. We love this. The only way to make this work is for you to give. And all we're asking is the price of the coffee beans and the espresso that's now in my right hand, $7 a month, $70 a year. And for this price of an espresso bean, we will continue to tell you the truth and do so in an amusing, entertaining, and edgy manner that actually matters for the future of your day. It was great to get traveling again. Please do give and on to the next, where we talk about on Friday, the Devchenko revelations and how the dossier and the Durham investigation reveal there was a cover-up with the Russians, with Hillary Clinton rather than Donald Trump being the perpetrator, and in all the President's Men broadcast. I look forward to that. Until then, take care.